Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Fearless Paranoia Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We are here demystifying the complex world of cybersecurity. I am Brian, the cybersecurity attorney. And I'm Brian. I'm a cybersecurity expert, I guess. Expert. I hope so. Otherwise, the previous checking my notes... 47 episodes of this podcast probably need to be recut and re-edited. Well, we are here trying to help you understand the world of cybersecurity in a way that is something that comes naturally. The need to understand cybersecurity these days and its role in our lives is not exactly akin to breathing, but it's something that we need to treat that way because breathing is an involuntary reflux. That's kind of how we need to be treating cybersecurity. And one of the difficult things about that is that the best way to treat cybersecurity that way is the exact same way you would train if you were an athlete, developing muscle memory, making it a reflex. If you want to think about it this way, extremely well-trained military special ops and law enforcement personnel were able to react to 5,000 different circumstances in very unique ways in a split second without thinking because they have trained it over and over again. They know what their body's going to do. They know what everyone around them is going to do. So that's how they react. That's what we need to be doing with cybersecurity. It needs to be a practice. We need to build it into everything that we do. We need security by design, we need privacy by design. But until we get that, since we're probably never really going to get that completely, we need to shape our responses to cybersecurity issues through training. And the best way to do that, honestly, is going to be training at work. I know, I know. We're here trying to tell you today that not only is the cybersecurity training you get at work important, but we're here telling you that you need to go into your office and you need to tell your managers, tell your bosses, tell the owners of whatever business you have that you need more of it and you need better cybersecurity training. I think you just made everybody listening to the podcast cringe just a little bit, but I'm not going to argue with I'm just hoping we're not causing any accidents. That's my goal at this point. You know, people are driving out of the road right now. You can stop flipping me off, put your eyes back on the road. I get it. (laughs) But I think the point that you're, you're making too is really a good one. We need to move away from treating cybersecurity as like a trained reaction, and it needs to move more towards instinct. We need to be able to just readily identify the types of things that are coming out nowadays, and we need to have it bred into us not just at work, but even in our personal lives, of how to identify what malicious activity looks like, how to take an approach of mild paranoia to almost everything we do in the cyberspace nowadays, and use that as kind of our first layer of defense, as our shield against those types of things, right? Like Kind of like our cyber immunity that we build Mm -hmm. by this. And it's not stuff that the average person just learns, unless you're a slightly borderline psychotic like you and me, where we just spend our time- I was going to say, Ryan, you. You, You're the the person you're talking about, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, there's some of us that do spend our time just fascinated with the space. And so like by constant exposure and fascination, we pick up on those things. But the average person has got other things that they prioritize to kind of take them down that road. And and so even just basic levels of educational training can go a long way to helping to change those habits and kind of bring that cyber instinct into play. And so I think it's important to do it, but I think it's also important to do it right. You know, you can do cyber training in all sorts of ways that make people cringe. And the reason why people cringe is because historically cyber training has been Here's this video of Bob and Jane. Watch as Bob does something really risky and watch as Jane calls him out and then do multiple choice questions about what Bob did wrong or why Jane was right or wrong. I mean, it feels 
like every other basic level of training. And I mean, that's one way you can do it, right? I feel like that's like the check the box style type of training that you see in most businesses nowadays. But there's so many other creative ways to train things. It doesn't have to be dull videos, dull PDFs that you read through, little basic quizzes on what's right and what's wrong. There's so many other opportunities to engage people in kind of thoughtful, interactive ways that maybe will not only just spur that education that you're trying to get out of them, but maybe Maybe do it in a way that's a little entertaining or maybe interactive or sets a better picture for them. So it's not just, hey, don't do this because it's bad. Maybe you start taking the training to the next level and really quantify for people what happens when this stuff slips through or what happens when they click on a phishing link. It's not just, oh, I clicked on a phishing link. Now I got to go take some more training from my cybersecurity team. It can be, Mm -hmm. oh, I clicked on a phishing link and... This now turned into an extra $700,000 that my business had to spend to clean up whatever the mess was because this wasn't a phishing test. This was an actual test. I work in a finance department. Now somebody was able to wire transfer a bunch of money out of our company or we had to watch as our IT or our cybersecurity team cleaned up a worm or some malware or some ransomware within the business. And I think that people don't tie those two pieces together very frequently from training to real life cause. And that causality gets just lost in the middle of the conversation. And I think just being able to kind of better bridge that gap towards the people doing the training and offering the training and the people responding to the people that are on the other end, the consumers and the users, would go a long way to really making it less boring, less menial, and more effective in the end. And there's a long way to go, I think, to convincing you, the listener, that cybersecurity training is something that you need and that you should have. And a lot of what we're going to talk about today should go a long way to kind of helping you understand that it is needed. But the bottom line is, if you don't believe that it's needed, you're probably going to tune us out. And there's some fairly frightening studies that have come out recently. One of government employees in, and this is a a study in the UK or a survey done in the UK, just one third of government employees realized their actions impact their organization's security posture. A little more than one third said they hadn't reported phishing emails in the past. And one fifth, it was 21%, said they don't even care if their organization is hacked. The problem is, is that, I mean, nowadays the cost of a data breach is so high. The remediation, the PR involved, the reputation repair, the notification process, not to mention any penalties you deal with, not to mention individual liability if you happen to be the one who screwed up. The costs are going up dramatically and they're going to impact not just someone's bonus. This isn't going to be the situation where if something bad happens, the executive's stock options go down by 10%. The dollars amounts that we're talking about is personnel cuts. It's shutting down sections of business. If you're in a small or medium-sized business, there's a good chance within six months of a cyber attack, your business is going to close. And when I say good chance, I mean 50% chance. A major data breach will cause small businesses to shut down because they can't afford it. So if you're not motivated at the very least by the benefit to your employer, generally speaking, think about the benefit to yourself. Think about preserving your paycheck, your perks. Everyone has been in the office where you go from having a great culture to having major cutbacks. The quality of life at that job just goes down dramatically when you're having to make those changes. So at least think about yourself in your current position without any of the frills. If that doesn't motivate you to say you need to need the training, then we can't help you. 
But what we're going to do today is we're going to talk to you about four different ways, four different reasons at least, that you need to convince your employer that your cybersecurity training needs to be better. And when I say better, it needs to be good. I'm willing to bet that 90% of you out there would agree that the cybersecurity training you receive at work is probably marginally effective at best. It's probably not particularly interesting. The reason I know that is because I do it. Ryan, you do it. We've been to these companies where this feeling is, you, you walk in and you can just, everyone is there like, okay, I'm just going to sit back and just check out. I absolutely despise that because I don't really get any energy talking to a room full of people who are going to sleep. And I actually appreciate the idea that what I'm you know, teaching people has some value. So I like the idea of an engaged, interested audience. So we're going to break this down into four different components of why you need to convince your employer that your cybersecurity training needs to be better. We're going to start right from the beginning, which is time. Most of the surveys that have come out regarding people's assessment of cybersecurity training is that there isn't enough time in their individual schedules to accommodate training. Now, Ryan, in your experience in dealing with this kind of trainings, how often do you end up seeing companies that are attempting to do all of their training through essentially like online modules? Most of them, really the, the heavy majority. And those are basically for employees to finish in their own time within a broad deadline, right? Yep, absolutely. So basically, you're talking about companies that are essentially saying to their employees, you have to fit this in somehow. Yep. And the expectation is exactly that, right? I mean, most people get there, very rarely do you find somebody that's employed and has tons of free time. There's not a lot of businesses that hire people to just kind of have them sitting around idle. So they usually have pretty packed schedules. And then training just comes as a bolt-on in a lot of cases. It's one more additional task, right? It's one more item for the pile of things to do. Mm-hmm. And that's typically how it gets treated. And most people don't look at it as being a direct value add to their day. And it doesn't look like something that they're going to get actively reviewed on when performance review periods come up. And so they look at it as being that thing, that box that they just have to check so they don't get yelled at by their boss or by HR or something. They look at it much the same way that, frankly, a lot of businesses look at it. It's another box to check, one more piece of the compliance puzzle. And anyone that's treating it that way, again, isn't drawing any value from it, right? They're just looking at it as one more hurdle to jump over between the start line and the finish line. Well, and let's be totally honest here too. The odds that you're actually going to learn anything, retain anything from something that you are going through, if we're being totally honest here, you're almost not even a sentient being. You're going through these. It's unconscious. You're not paying attention. Your absorption rate of this material is almost going to be below what you would get if someone read it to you while you were asleep. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of times where I'm sure where if a three-minute video pops up and you know that you're going to have three minutes of sitting there. Well, heck, if you got a wireless headset on, I mean, that's a good time to go run to the restroom real quick. That could be a good time to like go around and clean up a couple things around your office while you're sitting there just kind of letting the video drone on in the background. So if it's not something that's entertaining or more interactive, you're going to look at that as just another period to multitask. And multitasking around that means that you're going to be absorbing a small portion of the trading at best. So if you understand and appreciate that cybersecurity training is necessary or understanding is necessary and the best place to get it is probably at work because I don't think there's very many people who just have a bunch of both money and free time laying around that they're just going to go on their own time and do all the training that's necessary. Getting the training at work is the best place to do it. So what are we talking about here? You need to convince your boss, your manager, that you need dedicated time. You need dedicated time within the workday for cybersecurity training. Now, we're talking about training that is probably something that only in the most extreme circumstances would be a monthly event. Most companies can probably do an adequate job of the cybersecurity training that they need quarterly. Some semi-annually, I would say, depending on how all in you're willing to go, and we'll discuss a little more of that later, but you need dedicated time. You need that time 
within the workday, you need that time to be accountable to nothing else and your expectations for the day have to be adjusted to factor for that. The time that you spend has to be part of your job. It can't be something for you to figure out and work in. So that's the first thing that we believe that you need to convince your boss or your manager when it comes to cybersecurity training. You're listening to the Fearless Paranoia Podcast. For more information on keeping yourself, your family, and your company protected against cyber threats, check out the Resilience Cybersecurity and Data Privacy blog. If you're enjoying this podcast, please like and subscribe using any of your favorite podcast platforms. Also, please share this podcast with anyone you think would find it helpful or useful. We rely on listeners like you to help get the word out about this show, and we appreciate the support. Now, time for some more cybersecurity. Second thing we want to talk about here, two and three are kind of two sides of the same coin. We're talking about the quality of the training itself. The first side of that coin is what the training itself covers. You need training that actually deals with things that you address in your job and training that is reasonable and reflective of the things that you will see on a regular basis. So Ryan, what are the kind of the ways that you have geared training in the past to make sure that you address the things that people actually see? So one of the big disconnects is the people doing the training from the people that are doing active cybersecurity. Those tend to be a couple different teams in a lot of cases. In some cases, the people running the training might be part of your compliance or your GRC team, which means they work hand in hand or very closely with you know some of your operational cybersecurity teams, the people that are responding to the events that hit a business. In some cases, it's your HR team or your people experience or talent acquisition or whoever, your human resource teams that are not directly involved with cybersecurity at a business that are going out procuring a tool or a service to offer as part of the training to check a box. In some cases, it could be other departments even, maybe a finance team or something else that's running this. In almost all those cases, if they're not actively collaborating with your operational cybersecurity teams, you're missing out on a big opportunity, and we'll talk about that in a second, but you're most likely missing the major points that you should be trying to cover. And so realistically, people have very limited time, as we talked about, to do this training, and it's important that they do it. So the things you want to avoid are covering a bunch of stuff that they're either not going to face or stuff that is obvious and clear what it is, no reiterating basic points. But more importantly, the real opportunity would be talk with your operational teams and say, hey, what are the things that are hitting your user space most frequently right now? And what are the things that are costing you the most money that come in and out of the user space? Is it the fact that your users have local admin and that they install bad software and eventually you grab pieces of malware? Is it that they click on phishing links all the time and that's how you're picking up malware or starting a ransomware event or giving up credentials? Could it be that a user is dragging the stuff into your environment through things like doing personal level activities? on a workstation. you got to go to them and figure out what is it that they need as far as collaboration from the general user base to be able to be more effective at doing their job or at least to start mitigating some of the impacts that come from the user space. Because again, systems and zero days and stuff are already one problem that they have to deal with. Un, you know, Lack of patches or patch compliance is another thing. Sprawl of attack surface is another. But the user space is a space where a lot of major challenges for cybersecurity teams come out of. And so understanding the challenges they're dealing with coming out of that space would be a great way to start the initial job of tailoring the type of training 
that you're sending out to your users because you can send them that broad kind of what's ransomware what does a phishing email look like help us identify the couple pieces that go into a phishing email you can hit them with all of the very generalized terms but you're not actually solving and working towards getting your people to be better trained to solve the problems that are occurring daily operationally within your business if you tailor your training to deal with those specific issues and start to guide the training and guide the experience and guide the education and do that quantification of the impacts towards that piece, you're going to get a lot more effectiveness because they are going to have that specific training pushed to them. It comes down to the user whether they absorb it or not, but you're going to be pushing the training to them that actually indicates what are the things that we're fighting, what are the things costing us money, and what are the things that you could legit do better should you choose to be compliant that will make us more secure as a business overall. And of course, also, it's not even just the presentation to the employees, it's to which employees the presentation is going. And this is one thing that I've dealt with in the past, is when you're dealing with people who answer phones as part of their job, one of the most important things you have to deal with is social engineering. But people who routinely do payment processing, or more importantly, people who have the authority to send requests for payment processing to be performed. This is what I'm talking about here, fraudulent wire transfers and business email compromise. The training that they need is understanding not necessarily how to detect a phishing email, but how to detect when an email is requesting that they circumvent the existing policies and procedures meant to prevent fraudulent situations. I think that's incredibly important. And to take it one step further, when that spidey sense gets triggered that, hey, maybe somebody is trying to manipulate or persuade me, what are the company accepted means that I'm supposed to go through to get validation and verification that this was a legitimate request? If our CEO says, hey, go buy $5,000 worth of Apple gift cards and send me all the numbers, okay, fine. I don't want to defy the CEO, but This sounds sketchy as heck. Knowing that I can't go to the CEO as a point of validation, potentially, because that's where the point of potential compromise is coming from, who am I supposed to go to then to check that and to validate that and to make sure that that's an okay activity before I just go ahead blindly and do it and then just wipe my hands clean and go, hey, but the CEO said. So yeah, that's important. Because the bottom line is at the end of the day, if this goes wrong, who is more likely to lose their job in that situation? The CEO or the person who allowed themselves to essentially be bullied into taking action that wasn't proper. Well, and at the end of the day, it likely wasn't the CEO. So yeah, they're going to have their hands washed clean of any responsibility in the effort because likely it wasn't them. Well, there are plenty of business owners that I've dealt with who are more than willing to circumvent things just because to get something done. I mean, there's the $5,000 in Apple gift cards is a unique one to me, but you know, similar things where certain bosses will make unreasonable requests. I will tell you flat out, and this is understanding that people who are in these jobs are not necessarily in them because they want to be. If you were to be reprimanded for following procedure, if you were reprimanded for confirming that the CEO was the person who sent you that message, I guarantee you the reprimand that you received for making that confirmation is far better than you would receive from that same CEO. If it wasn't them, it turns out it was fraudulent and you didn't follow a procedure. If you're afraid of them when things are going right and you're doing the right things, always realize that it's going to be so much worse when you do it wrong. But one of the most important things you said, Ryan, there was up to the individual user whether they absorb the training. That leads into part three of this discussion. Like I said, it's two sides of the same coin, what the training is on and the other side of that coin is how the training is delivered. How is the information delivered to the employees receiving it? And 
this is where, and I, Ryan, you and I have talked about this so many times. I think it is absolutely critical that the people conducting the training, and this is one of the reasons why I actually don't think that it's usually even a good idea to have training done by someone inside the company. You need someone who is an expert at training. You need a presentation that isn't just someone talking. You need to be interested. You need to be engaged. You need to learn things. And learning things means interactive education. It means doing. Learn by doing. And since we're going to all hope that you don't have to learn by doing in response to an actual cyber attack, you need to learn by practicing in conditions that are as close to an actual cyber attack as possible or as close to whatever situation you're going to be going through as can be. Ryan, what are your thoughts on how training should be delivered in these contexts? I think there's a variety of good and there's a much larger variety of bad ways to deliver training. And I think that the first thing is understanding who your audience is and understanding what your business model is because there's no one size fits all right answer to this. Your cybersecurity training is going to be completely different if you have a highly technical organization that works in the cybersecurity space, right? Like I work for a cybersecurity solutions provider. So by nature, the majority of our employees have already got a pretty profound understanding of cybersecurity, what goes on in the space, et cetera. It's what we do every single day. And so the training that you would offer to us is going to be completely different than the training you would offer to, say, a grocery retailer. Yeah, you're not going to see too many hackathons being conducted for customer service intake specialists. At Publix or something like that, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. But the other point, too, is that those two types of organizations face inherently different cybersecurity threats and challenges also. Us being a large cybersecurity solutions provider, we produce software, we provide services, and so the threat actors that come after us are interested in things like proprietary information like source code. They're interested in learning what kind of training we're offering to people so that they can turn around and manipulate that in some fashion. It could be financial coming after us, but in most cases, they're going to be coming at us for more technical means. Going after something like, to keep with the example of the grocery retailer, they might not have a lot of proprietary technical information that could be bought and sold elsewhere, right? There's a lot of variety in the types of threats that come in based on the type of business. So I think understanding your business model, understanding the threats that come at you is really going to help you kind of tailor what type of training, what level of training, and the intensity of the training that you're going to have mm -hmm. to offer to your staff in particular. And I think you really need to start by just yeah understanding your business and using that to understand what you need to get from the users and using that to push the training out and tailor it accordingly. I think there's a lot to be said for the gamification of training. Now, I've said in previous episodes that I feel like the word gamification is overly and improperly used in the context, especially of cybersecurity. But if you can add a competitive and collaborative element to your training, you will guarantee participation. And the one thing about participation is it takes the average member of the group that's participating and it turns the learning from passive into active. And what that does is even if they don't say a word, it doubles what they retain. If they speak during any of this active participation, it increases what they retain fivefold. It is incredible the differences you get when you get someone involved, engaged, and participating with ideas, with questions, with anything that gets them speaking, that gets them thinking, and that gets them acting. So put them in a situation where they get to act, where they get to react, where they work with other people. Probably the favorite story I have of cybersecurity training was an IT service provider. So they, these were technically savvy people. They had a massive conference room where 
everyone was given jobs to respond to certain attacks and there was a giant scoreboard on the wall and you could see scores in real time. And so you were competing against other people, but they also had built into the training because the training was constructed incredibly well. Built into the training, you had options of collaboration. So you could work with other teams and you could advance your score. You could help other teams advance their score. You could work together. Both your scores could go up. You could work together to achieve a certain objective. And even more critically than all that, there's more than one way to win. You didn't have to do the exact one right thing in order to get the points. The bottom line is in real life, there are 50 different possible you know, results from every action we take. So a well-constructed training module will involve everybody doing what they're capable of doing within a role or within a team and will put them in a position to act, react, interact, and coordinate with other people because not only will they gain skills, but it will demonstrate to them when you work together, you achieve and create something that even if you were to add everything together alone, you wouldn't get. And by doing that, you don't just develop that muscle memory, but you give them an actual reason to believe that there's a purpose for it. And I can't blame someone who's working for somebody else for not caring about that cybersecurity, but this is how you show them it's important. And so guess what? It is on your employers. It is the job of your employers and your bosses to show you that your participation is important. That's why this is the third item. You need to convince your bosses that the training that they give you is both of the type and of the form that convinces you that it's important. You're listening to the Fearless Paranoia Podcast. We're here to help make the complex language of cybersecurity understandable. So if there are topics or issues that you'd like Ryan and I to break down in an episode, send us an email at info at fearlessparanoia.com or reach out to us on Facebook or LinkedIn. For more information about today's episode, be sure to check out fearlessparanoia.com where you'll find a full transcript as well as links to helpful resources and any research and reports discussed during the episode. While you're there, check out our other posts and podcasts as well as additional helpful resources for learning about cybersecurity. Now back to the show. And this is where we're going to go to that fourth part. And this is the part that's probably going to be the hardest. You need to convince them that they have to play too. This is a sandbox that everyone is not only invited to play in, but obligated to play in. No one gets out just because of their role. No one gets out because they don't have time. No one gets out because they've got a meeting with a customer they have to go to. No, the training has to be designed, scheduled, and conducted in a manner so that everybody does it. Not everyone's going to do the same thing. Like I just said in the instance we just described, you have teams where people do different stuff. People are responsible for different things. The best tabletop exercises that you'll see in cybersecurity involve making sure that the people who if it's their job to be the on the PR side of things, that they get responsibilities related to communicating the nature and the extent of whatever cyber tech you've gotten. So yeah, your participation will be different. The CEO is going to have to do the things that a CEO does, but he's got to do them. Everyone has to participate. Ryan, what do you think is the best way to convince a manager or a CEO or supervisor, remember that they need to be just as much a part of this training as every other employee. Quantification of impact, hands down. So I think that as an employee, if you can go to them and say, hey, it's important that we have good training and that we understand this so that we can do our part to protect the business, the business can only be as well protected as all of its parts are protected because threat actors don't look for one single way to get in. They tap along the entire wall and look for the weakest point. And if that weakest point is your lowest trained employees, that's where they're going to go. But if all of your employees, minus your C-suite, are well trained, 
in cybersecurity, but your executives say, well, since we're at the top of the food chain, it's not important for us to partake in this, right? You know, because there's an impact. It's going to be us that absorbs it anyways, right? I mean, it's going to be our bonuses. It's going to be mm-hmm. us having to deal with the stakeholders or the investors. So why should we have to go through this? Because it'll be our butts anyways. Well, the threat actors are going to go to the weakest point. If the weakest point is an undertrained C-suite, well, not only there do you have the weakest point, which means the point that's most likely to get exploited, but you also have a critical point there that not only means that they, in a lot of cases, either have more access or more ability to gain access to certain pieces of information that are even more detrimental to business, where it makes it more valuable for them to get this kind of training and to be better trained. I want to jump in real quick. A survey that I found that was pretty... Uh, in uh, damning. I'm just going to say that pretty damning at this point. So nearly half of C-level executives, 49% of the C-level executives had requested to bypass one or more security measures in the past year. That's only the headline figure. The report also found that 20% had shared their work passwords with someone outside the company. 77% used easy to remember passwords, including birth dates or pet names. Three times more likely than a regular worker to share work devices with unauthorized users like friends, family, and external freelancers, and a third of executives admitted to accessing unauthorized work files and data, and two-thirds said they could have edited unauthorized work files or data if they had accessed them. I mean, just staggering disregard for cybersecurity coming from the C-suite, the people who, quite frankly, have the most skin in the game, but also have the most skin available to sacrifice. Yeah, I think when you get into small businesses, it tends to be a little more overlap in the space in small businesses of what people are doing, because again, more people wearing more hats or fewer people wearing more hats. And so you'll see a lot more overprivilege in small businesses, sometimes partly from necessity, sometimes part from just flexibility, etc. But when you get to an enterprise level business, realistically from the cybersecurity space, and again, unapologetically going to drop this one, your executives should have very limited access to anything in your systems outside of the stuff they specifically need to do their jobs. Your CFO will need access to your financial documents and things, but they don't need access to source code or to HR information, things like that. Your HR team should absolutely have access to all of your employment information. Should they have access to your financial records? Absolutely not. Should they have access to the payment portals? Absolutely not. Should your CEO, in most cases, if they're not actively performing one of those duties, have access to any of those systems? Heck no, they should not. And so I think really it comes down to the least privilege model. And the least privilege model needs to be followed just about everywhere. And that's one thing that needs to be covered in training. And rarely ever in most cybersecurity training that I've seen people do in the past, at least most of the mass market cybersecurity training, do they really cover topics like least privilege and what the importance is behind that. And training will go a long way to helping people understand that. But we need to provide in stuff like training, the not just why, but like what can be done if we don't follow it or what the fallout of that looks like if we don't adhere to those types of things. One of the critical things that you're talking about there too is making sure that when you do involve you know, C-suite executives in cybersecurity training, you need to involve them with other types of employees as well. You can't just have a dedicated training for people who their first step is to, I'm going to call this this expert. And as soon as I do, I wash my hands of the problem. I've sent it to the right department. One of my favorite ways of doing this is when you break into teams, you watch how the people who have management level jobs try to occupy a management level in these small groups. And they try to take charge because they think that that's what they're supposed to do and that's their role. And I always have to remind them, no, your role is actually more narrowly defined than that. 
you don't have the authorization to look into your company's finances to find out if money's missing. You actually have to call somebody else. Who do you call? That's why I think it's critical that you have a training that involves everybody in a way that presents them with problems they're actually going to see in a situation that they actually might experience. And with people around them who have the roles and responsibilities that match what they would have in that situation. And of course, again, also done in a manner that is engaging and involved so that it's not literally just someone sitting back going, I mean, you're kind of an idiot. You're running this whole thing and you think you can just kind of take charge in this situation. No, you don't know what you're doing. Well, and if you want to get people to really engage in and take training seriously too, if you are part of the C-suite, there's two main things you can do that are really going to help with that. And first of all, that is understand models like least privilege and say, I'm totally okay if I don't have access to everything. And that I'm going to be willing as a C-suite leader to do the training that is going to come my way, even though I understand that my schedule mm-hmm. is my schedule is busy. But by doing those two things together, by making sure that you are compliant and adhere to the policies that are set down and that you actually participate in the training that goes forward, you are leading by example. And if you want to get people to follow you, you need to lead by example because do as I say, not as I do. All that does is encourage other people to try and do the same and get away with it. And that doesn't help anybody in the end. It just leads to a more insecure business. And one with a C-suite full of people that don't know what they're supposed to do in the event of a cyber attack. There's always that. And that's why the majority of the time the C-suite is lightly involved in a lot of those processes. They're involved more in the strategy and the planning. And their main goal is knowing that they understand who their incident responders are and who the commanders are that they're supposed to go to. So that their job, their main piece in this is identify, help strategize, and then make the call when it comes time to make the call. And then more importantly too, either do the small part that you're supposed to do or get out of the way. Especially in small business, it's really hard because most business owners and managers at that level are used to being very hands-on. And this is, for a lot of them, it's personal. This is a project that was theirs. It's something they created or something they took over and built. And one of the hardest things that they find is relinquishing control of such a serious situation. But one of the most important things that a business owner or manager can do in the event of cyber attack is get back to work. Get back to doing what you do. The number of times that I've had to literally just sit down a business owner and explain to them, look, as a cyber attack response manager, my job is to tell you to shut your mouth, get back to doing your job. I will do what needs to be done on this end. Where your input is needed, I will seek it and I will do so quickly. And where your advice is warranted, I will take it. But the most critical thing that a business manager can do in their job is manage their business. So by making sure that you are demonstrating and leading by example, you will actually be one of those C-suite people that in the event of a data breach, won't have much to do. It should be your goal because you have the processes in place. You've got the people in place. You know what your job was to do in reaction. You know what your job is to do in actually getting out of the mess at the end. And you've got the people in the middle, handling the problem, fixing what was broken, getting yourself back. That is absolutely critical. That's why you make the investment in that expertise in the first place. And if you're going to make the investment into cybersecurity policies, procedures, systems, etc., and then not have faith in them to operate the way that they're supposed to when the actual time comes for them to do their job. You're looking to control puppets and that you're just going to do act two of a play now, except I'm going to control another set of puppets this time. Really, a great business leader should bring in the experience and the expertise they need and then understand and put faith in them to do the job that they are being paid to do or the part that they're meant to play and then get out of their way and let them do their job. 
because that is mm. that that's the whole point of what they're there for and that's what all the strategy and all of the training and everything goes into is making sure that when those moments come that you're ready for them and that the machine jumps into life and does what it needs to do to recover quickly well once again we've blown right past our goal of keeping this reasonably short this is actually a critically important topic and we, we are going to have more episodes on training coming up and i'm really quite stoked for when we sit down and do a tabletop exercise i think it's gonna be our first video podcast uh you don't have to see what we look like. Although I will tell you, Ryan has made several promises about various outfits that he might do a video podcast in. I'm tempted to do a video podcast just to see what he decides to actually present. Thank you for joining us today on the Fearless Paranoia podcast. We hope that we have given you some really good information and really good ammunition to go and take to your employer, to your company, to whomever, and convince them why they need to do a better job training you in cybersecurity. If you've enjoyed this episode, go ahead and share us on social media. If you think there are people that could benefit from this information, our advertising is you. You can sign up for new... One of these days, I'm going to script this. One of these days. It's so much better when it's unscripted anyways. Right, you don't listen to these episodes. Or I just need to get better at just jumping in when you start faltering and just take over and just grab the reins. Don't forget, you can go to our website, www.fearlessparanoia.com and sign up for updates. Any of our new posts get shared, you get those right there. You can also sign up for Fearless Paranoia on any of your favorite podcasting platform, including Apple, who just sent us a whole new terms of service that we have to figure out. We. I. That I have to figure out. Oh, no. Oh, that was more of a we, like I'm riding the roller coaster and having fun going through Apple's terms of service again. Got we. it. <laughs> oh no i'm gonna you're the you're the attorney i'm gonna let you handle terms of service yeah no, yeah no kidding god i hope this makes it into the final episode um thank you for joining us for fearless paranoia i'm brian and i'm ryan and we'll see you next time <laughs>